We have a unique day here today of just worship. And the Word of God, today we're really celebrating the Word of God written on the hearts of His people. We're going to hear from one of our missionary families, the stewards here shortly, and they're going to share in, 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 in a big way just what God has been doing over in Papua New Guinea. I just want you to, to, to really take seriously and just the honor it is that we have missionaries here to share with us. They are they're, they're true heroes of the faith. And, and, and not to prop them up unnecessarily. They're broken, messed up people, right? Trust me. They are just messed up. I mean, no, I'm joking. But they're broken people, you know? But, but their courage and their faith to go to the mission field and serve the Lord and, and risk and give up everything for the kingdom there, they're heroes. And they're, they're, their stories encourage us. And there's some honor there that we want to give to them in that way. We also have a testimony. We've been sending out so many kids, I think, like somewhere between 30 and 50 kids to camp here this summer, which is awesome. And we're going to have a testimony of one of our students this morning who's come back. And it was so cool. She hit me up last night and said, I want to share a testimony of what God did to me at camp. I'm like, okay. You betcha. And so Ellie's going to share here what God has done in her at camp, Camp Shamanah there. And then we've got some baptisms of of, of some ladies here, we're going to declare Jesus is their Lord and Savior. They're living for Him. And some amazing testimonies, awesome testimonies here. The Word of God written on our hearts. The Word of God is living. Right? It's a person. It is Jesus Himself. But that living person is to live in us and give us life. Amen? We're not to be some stale, dead place, right? The church isn't a building, friends. It's the people, right? All right. I'm getting a little excited. Okay. All right, we're warming up. Woo! Okay. Well, I'm going to have uh, our, our GO team leader, Janet Eisner, come on down here. And she's going to introduce the uh, Stewart family for us here this morning. And I just want to give some props to Janet. Janet's doing double time here. She's leading our GO team. She's leading our women's ministry. She's just pouring her heart out and stepping in the gap. She's married to Mark Eister. Pray, pray for her. So, another bald, bearded, beautiful man. I mean, it's hard to be in such presence, right? Um, but just so greatly appreciate Janet and all that she's sacrificing for God's kingdom. Good morning. We are so delighted and thankful to have the stewards with us. They are so dear to our hearts because they started out here in Worthington at Grace. Paul with Proclaim. And we're a part of Grace's ministry here. And so they are really dear to us. And Scott, I can't do any better than what Scott shared. And I don't want to steal their thunder. So let's welcome Paul and Kelly and their precious family here this morning. Good morning. It is really fun to be back in Worthington. We came here in 2003. We are here for about a year and a half my first real job out here at the airport. Um, I came here two months before we got married, then we got married and Kelly came up with me. We had a great time living here in Worthington. So, so good to be back. And um, what am I supposed to do? We're not super polished speakers, I apologize. She's way better than I am. <coughs> um, our oldest daughter isn't with us here today. But actually, I'm going to let my wife introduce our family. That's probably the best thing to do. Yeah, just give me the microphone, Paul. I got it. I got it. You can go sit down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Paul and I 
our very first Sunday as a married couple, we came to Grace. And it was back when it was in that probably not, but definitely most likely haunted um, building that used to be a tuberculosis morgue. Like, raise your hand if you remember that building. Look at that. That's right. Old school. Yeah. So that was Grace. Um, and came as 23-year-olds, started off in this church, and are just so happy to keep coming back here to you guys. Okay, this is our family. Piper is not here today. She is home with a cold, but she's 14. She's a big girl. She can stay home and read a book. So if you're looking at our family like, oh, no, what happened to the other one? She's still alive. Um, Will is our only son. He's 12. He's going into seventh grade. He actually is physically present right there. Um, Gwenny is our third born. She's the only one with blue eyes, so I got one of them, one blue eye. She's nine, and Paige is seven, and if you don't see her anywhere because she's tiny, you will hear her. She's, she's, she's my spirit animal, really. Like Paige, when she was born, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. That's, yeah, that's me right there. So you'll hear her later for sure. So that's our family, and that's it. All done. No more. We will pass the torch, pass the torch to others. All right. Just a quick review of who Wycliffe Bible Translators is and what we're doing. Uh, our goal is to translate the Bible into every language in the world. Does that sound better? I get used to microphones. Okay. So there are almost 7,000 some languages in the world. It's a huge job. Half of them have New Testaments. Half don't. Uh, Papua New Guinea, the reason there's so much work there is there are over 800 distinct languages in the country the size of California. And we're... Um, in the range, uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators has done about 200 languages in Papua New Guinea, and some other teams have, have done uh, maybe 50 more or so. So we have plenty of work to do in Papua New Guinea. So that's a big picture. Next one is uh, Wycliffe has two kinds of missionaries. We've got the translators who go out to villages in remote places and actually learn languages, write them down, translate them. We have, uh, um, what do we call them, literacy teams and church engagement teams that go out into the villages. And then they have all the rest of us who were more gifted mechanically than um, in linguistics and things like that. So my main job for the first 10 years of being overseas was to fix airplanes. Just keep the airplanes flying because without the airplanes, they can't get to the villages. And about half the missionaries Wycliffe sends to Papua New Guinea are support workers. We're just there to provide infrastructure to keep translators translating and keep them going. Um, and of course, there are doctors, nurses. We provide pretty much all the infrastructure that, that we need to run our little base there. We'll show you more about that later. Is that it? And I'm back on to Kelly. So where in the world is Papua New Guinea? A lot of people ask that. Um, a lot of people think it's in Africa. Nope. South America? Nope. It is in the Pacific. We always say the little finger of Australia points to Papua New Guinea. Um, it's half of an island. The other half is called Papua, and it belongs to Indonesia. So the orange half is Papua New Guinea. Actually, I got a, I got a shout out to Papua New Guinea because a Papua New Guinean lady has made Olympic world history recently as a weightlifter. She's competed in five Olympics. And it doesn't surprise me that's in weightlifting because Papua New Guineans are so strong. They're like, they like come out with like muscles. They're very, very strong people. So we're super proud of this gal for representing PNG in the Olympics. Um, so there's Papua New Guinea. Usually we fly from LA to Australia to Papua New Guinea, but Australia has decided to hide from the world for the next decade. So we're, no, we're not able to go through Australia right now. So we went the other way to get to the US and it was about 32 hours of flying time. 
so that was not our favorite 17 days. But no, I'm just kidding. It didn't take that long. Um, so that's Papua New Guinea. Next slide. This is where we live in Papua New Guinea. So Papua New Guinea has like a main land and then a bunch of islands. And our translators um, work all over the entire country. Some of them are way out on the islands. Some of them are down in the Gulf province, down at the bottom. Some of them work like along the border to Indonesia and along the top. And Ukarumpa, that's the center where we live and serve, is right in the middle of the country and it's intentionally there so that we can serve all of the translators that work all over the country. So that's where our center is. Next slide. This is an aerial map of our center. So you can see it's the largest mission center in the world. And that's mostly because most countries have kind of moved away from mission centers. They live in the cities. Um, Papua New Guinea is unique because um, just certain things like our kids aren't legally allowed to go to a Papua New Guinean school by according to PNG law. So if we want a school, we have to make our own school. Um, and there's very specific rules about healthcare in PNG, about who is allowed to access Papua New Guinean healthcare. So we have to make our own clinic to provide our own healthcare, that kind of thing. Um, during COVID, there were about 100 empty houses. We went from 500 missionaries down to 140. And it was a pretty intense time. Everybody had to watch like 25 pets and take care of seven houses and five cars and do 10 jobs. And it was really, it wasn't bad in PNG during COVID because um, we didn't have a lot of sick people until like this year, 2021. But they're just, I mean, that story about Gideon narrowing his army down to 300. And then it says, and they picked up all the weapons of the, of the whole army and set out. I'm like, yeah, that's us. We're carrying like seven dogs, five cars, three jobs. Anyway. So that's Ukarumpa. Next slide. This is our house. This was one day where there was a complete rainbow and like 100 people posted it on Facebook. So this was ours. But this is our little greenhouse, our little car, water tank where we collect rainwater. And a lot of people say, well, what do you live, how do you live in PNG? Our house is, you know, fairly Western. We don't have AC or heat um, um, or insulated walls, but, you know, Indoor plumbing, electricity, we're good to go. So that's our house. You. All right. So the next slide here is one of my favorite maps of Papua New Guinea. So this country is the size of California, same landmass as California, and the red lines there are the roads that are in Papua New Guinea. So if you want to go somewhere in PNG, you kind of have to walk through a jungle, which they do, um, or take an airplane or a helicopter. And if you jump to the next slide, this is uh, typical Papua New Guinean roads. <laughs> so even the roads uh, aren't great. They're always a little bit of a, an adventure when you go on a road. And we have, do have some teams who can get to their places by road, but even having air access is important to them for emergencies because you never know whether the roads are open or whether they're not or whether we can go next week or this week. Um, the next slide here is my aviation team. So I was supposed to say at the beginning that we've been in Papua New Guinea four years now, which 14 years. You know, I'm really good at math, too, you know? <clears throat> 14 years. Um, and in, for the first 10, I was a mechanic full-time. And then for the last term and a little bit before that, I, they actually put me in charge of the whole aviation department, which they didn't know what they were getting into. But <clears throat> you never know. Um, but this is our team. We actually have four of the air, airplanes there and two helicopters. Um, the helicopters are fabulous and do exactly what we need to do. They're just expensive, so it's kind of a trick trying to make, figure out how to make this all work. 
I foresee us using more helicopters in the future. Um, but we'll see what God does with us. But as you can see, this is our team kind of mid-COVID, and there's not a whole lot of white faces in there. Um, when we came to Papua New Guinea, uh, the aviation team had 40, 43 missionaries in it um, and about 20 Papua New Guineans. Today we have about 20 missionaries and 30 Papua New Guineans. So we keep hiring more Papua New Guineans, and we're finding Papua New Guineans who have master's degrees from other countries and who are excited to work for us and who share our vision for Bible translation, and that's really neat. Um, we also have a lot of just local people who we hire to sweep the floors and load airplanes and, and kind of the whole gambit of Papua New Guineans who work for us. Um, but it has been an interesting challenge managing this big multicultural team because even the missionaries come from all over the world. We've got Australians and New Zealanders and I had a Korean on our team for a while and the Americans are all strong-willed missionaries. Um, and it's, it's been interesting. And I'll tell you one story about that later, but uh, that's my job. I've spent the last three years overseas managing that team and it's been a load of fun. And I'll tell you all kinds of weird cultural stories if you're interested in that, but I don't have time this morning, so. All right, so this is where I work, which looks a lot more exciting than where Paul works. Um, this is our elementary school. We're celebrating Papua New Guinea Independence Day. And so the colors of PNG are red, yellow, and black. And we were just, the whole school was super pumped for PNG Independence Day. Um, so how did I get to be the vice principal? Um, one day I was walking on the road and a director pulled up next to me on a truck. Rolled, wait, he's on the left side. Rolled his window down. And he said, hey, do you want to be the vice principal of the elementary school? And good missionaries say they'll pray about it. And then they say no when asked to do a new job. And I said, yes. And then he kind of fell out of his truck. And, and then two days later, I was in the office. So that's kind of how it works in, um, in PNG. And um, someone asked me the other day, so do you have a degree in school administration? No, bless your heart. I'm just alive. And I said, yes. So that's missions. So this is what I expected my job to be like. But if you go to the next slide, this is what it's really like. So this is me on sports day, like getting the kids all revved up. Um, our elementary school is fantastic. It's extremely multicultural. There are Papua New Guineans in every single grade level, um, which is amazing. And kids from the Ukraine, India, Australia, Germany, England, the US, um, the Netherlands, everywhere. One little seven-year-old girl decided to teach me how to say good morning in Dutch so I could say good morning to her. I know there are a lot of people of Dutch heritage, so I apologize, but she told me to say So I don't know, you can nod if that's proper. I don't know, I didn't get my So that's one thing. I never know what my job's gonna be like. One day I might be exterminating birds from the fifth grade classroom or giving standardized testing to the entire school or um, taking a Papua New Guinean student to go get stitches at the clinic and trying to remember which of his father's three wives is his mother to make sure I call the right one. And I did get the right one, so that's good. But it's just this fantastic, diverse, amazing job full of incredible kids and happy teachers. And it's absolutely the best job I've ever had. Um, so I feel really, really blessed to be able to teach at the school. I'm not teach, administrate at the school. And hope to go back to do that job again in December. So that's my plan.
All right, I get to tell you one fun, interesting story about my job. So um, COVID was really interesting. I mean, our job as aviators is to fly people into these remote areas, and the government didn't want us going into remote areas because COVID was in the cities, and when they did find positive cases, they were all in the cities, so there was a big stop put to the whole thing. Um, a lot of my aviation team's spouses work in the um, church engagement section of Papua New Guinea, or of, of our organization, um, and they run this cool program called Culture Meets Scripture, where they go into the languages after they have some scripture in their language and kind of teach them how to adjust their culture according to the scripture and how to read the Bible and apply it to their lives and figure it out. And they go, they like pick cultural things that they do, like, like having more than one wife or, you know, whatever, whatever cultural heritage they have originally. Um, one example was they have a thing called first fruits. So they, so they plant gardens and they'll plant the garden here and they just sort of move along and maybe 10 years later come back around and use the same land again. But anytime there's a new, uh, the first fruit from the, a new section of land, they would always put that in a corner and sacrifice it to their gods or whoever they believed in that day. Um, and that was sort of a cultural thing they all believed in. Well, then they get the scripture and they go, well, what do we do with this? You know, should we continue to practice that? And then they dig, teach them to dig, dig into the Bible, figure out what to do with that. And in that case, it was kind of neat because they said, well, that actually fits the Bible. Like, this is part of our cultural heritage, but why don't we give that to the church and to needy people and honor God with that same tradition that we've always had? Other things they say, no, we should just not do that anymore. And other things they say, boy, this fits right in, you know. Um, so that team was also bored because they couldn't do anything during COVID. So they actually came out to our aviation team and taught us uh, the Culture Meet Scripture course, or at least a shortened version of it. And it was really neat because we didn't have a lot of missionaries there. Our team it was very Papua New Guinean heavy, and so we spent a lot of time talking about Papua New Guinean culture. And I got put into a small group with four or five other Papua New Guinean guys, and we're sitting there talking, and they, they decided to talk about tribal fighting. They're like, oh, well, is tribal fighting biblical? Should we, should we be fighting with each other, or should we not? And, and I've worked with these guys for 14 years. Some of them are aircraft, you know, aircraft mechanic helpers, and some of them are loaders, and I've known them forever. They're used to missionaries. They live across the river from us um, in a village, but they've been around for a long time. I've known them for a long time. And they're sitting around going, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember last year? when that lady that we didn't know came in and it was actually your brother inside the lady. And I'm going, well, this is kind of odd, but you know, and she came into our village and we knew that it was her because she spoke in your brother's voice. And she called us out each by name. And she said, you know, and not, not just our names that everyone knows, but our family names that only our really dear family knows. So we knew that it was really, it was really your brother. And she told us, you know, who had killed him in the last tribal fight. And I'm going, like, I know these people. I work with them every day. I'm not used to hearing stories like this. We talk about airplanes at work. Um, and then they said, well, the next thing uh, she told us is, who, since, since she told us who, who had killed him in that previous tribal fight, she told us to go kill that person. And we went and did that. Do you remember that? And they're all going, yeah, yeah, we remember that. I was there. I remember it. So my first response to this was, you know, like, this is obviously not what you think it is. Like, there's something spiritual going on here. It's not really your dead brother. But if I'd have told them that, well, I'm the missionary, so that it just said, yes, yes, you're right, and never listened to it. Uh, or they wouldn't have believed me, but they would have told me they believed me, so fair enough. And then they taught them how to dig into the scripture, and, they do and we're doing this all in the, uh, um, 
the, the, what do you call it, the trade language. It's not their heart language, but it's a lot better than English. And we're reading through the scriptures, and I'm, I'm reading them with them, and it doesn't really speak to me because I understand the trade language. I speak it. I talk to them in, in the trade language every day. But as we're reading the scripture in the trade language, I'm not really getting it. Like, I'm not listening to what's happening. I, it's taken half my brain just to translate it in my mind. But their eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And they're like, wait, what did you just read? And I was reading um, the passage that says, you know, once, once you die, you only die once. And then you're judged. And you, and you go to heaven or hell. I should have looked up the verse beforehand and read it to you. Um, but I read it again in, in Pidgin, in their trade language. And they all go, look, look, that proves that that lady came, who came to us, is not your, actually your brother. It says here, right here, that you, once you die, you go to heaven. You don't get to come back. And then they're like, oh, here's this other verse over here that says Satan is a deceiver and deceives all kinds of things and causes issues. And, and them listening to their own, you know, listening to the Bible in their own, it's, it was their trade language. It wasn't their heart language, but most of them, they, they live in the trade language. Um, and, and actually understanding that to themselves and hearing it directly from the Bible in their language changed their lives and changed their hearts. And it was really great to see that firsthand because, like I say, we're, we're like, especially aircraft mechanics, we're like third back in the frontline ministry. Like, we keep the airplanes flying that move the missionaries that actually do the work. Um, and so we don't see that stuff very often, but it was really neat to see it right there in my team, in my friends who I know. Um, that hearing things in a language that, understand, that you understand really speaks directly to your heart. And that was kind of a neat little, um, what's the word, treat for me as, as a backline support worker to see that firsthand. So you can go, well, the next slide I think is, this is them doing the verses, Paul's team, um, and looking through them. So the next slide. Um, so Paul said, we went to Papua New Guinea 14 years ago in August. And when you first go overseas, you know, as a 27-year-old, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be the best missionary ever. And, like, I'm going to, like, know everything, and I'm going to be so great. And in Papua New Guinea, it's like the longer you're there, the less you know, and the more you know that you don't know. And the more you realize how complicated the Papua New Guinean culture is and how complex it is and deep and rich and I feel like this term especially, Paul and I have friends that we work with that are Papua New Guineans, that when something happens and you're like, ooh, I'm not, I'm not getting it. I'm not understanding what's happening right now. And Papua New Guineans are very gracious to missionaries. Like, if you're not getting it and if you're wrong, they're not going to tell you that you're wrong. It's just like the air changes a little bit. And, you're, and they're kind of like, ah. Uh, and you're like, oh, no. So we each have friends in our departments that we can go to and say, I don't know what I did. I did something wrong. Can you help me to understand? And they're like, okay, okay, white ladies, sit down. Let me tell you what you did wrong. And so that's been really awesome for us to have those deep friendships and deep connections in our department where we can go and be honest and say, I've been here a long time, I speak the language, and I still don't get it. Like, can you help me to understand? And they're so kind and patient and gra gracious, especially Paul as, like, leading this department. He has this one friend named Catherine who's really good to be like, sit down, Paul. Let's talk about what you did. So that has been a huge blessing. So our family, term three was a hot mess. 
And we came back, and I'm pretty sure I cried speaking to all of you. It was really bad term. We took a year and a half furlough to get healthy, to get our heads right, and went back in January of 2019, and everybody was like, oh, my gosh, you're so different. What's different about you? And I said, Jesus and counseling. Amen. Get counseling. It works. So we had a fantastic year, 2019. It was the best year of our ministry ever. 2020 hit, ta-da, best year of everyone's life, right? It was great, fantastic, um, was a little wonky, but we were still glad to be there in PNG. Um, and then in 2021, we came back. Um, but when we were doing our exit interview, they said, okay, how have things been? And we're like, great, fantastic, we had a great time, we want to go back to PNG. Okay. Um, but we do. We love it there. We feel like after 14 years, we're not as dumb as we used to be, which is a good thing. Um, we've been there a long time. We're valuable in what we do. We're excited to be there. Our kids are still happy living there, which is a huge thing for missionaries. If your kids aren't thriving, you can't be there. But our kids love it. Um, so our plan is to go back early December. We have to quarantine for three weeks when we get back in our house with yellow tape around us. Can't leave the property. Um, so we want to do that and then be ready to go for the start of the next semester, last semester of school year. So that's our plan. Was I supposed to say anything else? Oh, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this and then I'll give this to you. This church specifically does an extremely good job of sending out missionaries. Like I know you probably, like we speak in churches all over the U.S., Florida to Seattle, everywhere. You guys are amazing at sending out missionaries. Like, the, the nest that you create for people to grow and to learn and build in, and then the support that you are sending them out, I don't know that you realize what an amazing job you're doing. Because I know sometimes you see these mega churches in big cities, and you think that maybe they're good at sending out missionaries. But missions is built on the backs of churches like this. And I just wanted to commend you. I know that you have the Crouches, that's their name, right, out in, where are they, in Thailand? You're about to send these guys out. You sent us out. And your missionaries are thriving. And that's really, like, you are doing the mission, the work of missions in the world. And I just wanted to thank you. Like, we were able to stay in PNG because of COVID because of you. So I just wanted to thank you for that. And thank you for continuing to grow people who go out and go out and go out and to be that safe place for them to come back to every time they're on furlough, because I know you've been that for us. So thanks. All right. Well, I realize I made a mistake in our PowerPoint. Normally, we say, how can you as a church be involved? And we have three things you can do. You can go, you can pray, and you can give. But uh, the last church I used this PowerPoint for was all like 80-year-old plus people. And I took out the go part. <laughs> so <laughs> should have put it back in. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, so the first thing you can do is go. Uh, as soon as the COVID rules change, come on over. It's a blast. Um, but a career in missions is a blast. It's a great life of dependency on God, and you never know what you're going to get into. So go for it. Uh, go overseas. You know, get involved in missions locally. Um, go. Secondly, you can pray for us. How can you pray for us? Um, pray, especially, we're trying to get back to PNG before Christmas, like Kelly said, so we can quarantine and be out ready to work after Christmas. Um, but we have a lot of just, well, the big th three things are medical and finances. 
and I guess finances is two of those. But uh, next month, I have a heart ablation. If anyone knows what that is, they go zap little things in your heart and fix some things. kind of cool that we live in this day and age that you can do that. Anyway, that's scheduled next month, August 9th. Uh, Kelly's got a gallbladder coming out sometime, and the kids just have a pile of doctor's appointments and dentists and whatever else that they need to do. So pray that all the medical stuff works out and we're ready to go back um, by Christmas. And then financially, we need to raise $850 a month in monthly pledges. And this is already out of date as well. It's in the, I don't know, 6500 range um, for one-time gifts. Because we had a shorter term, we didn't have enough saved up to buy our round-trip tickets. So this is kind of to buy the rest of our tickets. Um, and that's how you can pray for us. So thank you so much for having us. And, oh, Jamsi, I always forget something. In the back... There are two things. These are our prayer magnets, and we have way too many of them, so please take them. Um, but that's got an updated picture of our family. And then there's these little slips. There aren't as many of those because we're not really great at being prepared. But if you want to send in a donation to Wycliffe for us, uh, that's how to do it. It's also on the, on the card. Like, the web link is on the card, and that's easy if you're into that type of thing. Thank you. So thank you so much. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. And uh, if you guys want to stay here just a moment and uh, congregation, family, join me in praying over them. Um, and uh, let, me, let me share too, I forgot, uh, we've got a variety of opportunities to in interact with the stewards. Uh, throughout, they're going to be here through Wednesday this week here. So like tonight at Paul and Bev's house at 7 o'clock is a meet and greet time. So if you want to hear more of these great crazy stories... Uh, from, uh, from the stewards, you can join them at, the sh at uh, Paul and Bev's at 7 o'clock tonight. And there's breakfasts and lunches and things like that. I think when Tuesday night is open. So if you want to have them over for supper or something like that, talk to Kelly Tuesday night. She's got the calendar. She can work it out. Um, but there's opportunities here to connect with them and encourage you to do so. So let's pray over them. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for... Uh, the healing and the work that you've done. You know, it's too often we hear stories, especially coming out of this COVID season, of ministers, pastors, missionaries leaving the ministry because they're burnt out, they're chewed up, they're spit out, they're done. They're too wounded and hurt. But God, thank you for this testimony, Lord God, of healing and restoration. Lord, of humility to seek help. Lord God, that they might continue on faithfully in serving you, God. We just pray for an, a continued increase in your hand and, and anointing upon Paul and Kelly, Lord God, to continue this ministry in a healthy way, way Lord Jesus. We pray for covering over the kiddos, Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray for their oldest, Lord God, for healing as she's got a little sickness going on right now. Father, pray for uh, that their, the kiddos' hearts would, would grow in love for you and desires for you, Jesus, and to pursue you and have faith for, the, for themselves, Lord God. Now, Father God, we pray you would provide uh, for all their needs, financially, Lord Jesus, as well as uh, for the ministry opportunities that lie ahead of them. And God, we pray for the gospel to go forward to, the, to PNG. Lord God, we pray for all people in Papua New Guinea to hear the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And we pray for a work, a revival, uh, the, just a, a fire spreading through Papua New Guinea because of the gospel, through hearts made alive in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. I'm...
was personally excited to, to hear more. Thank you guys so much. What a blessing. Man, what a blessing. Well, we're, uh, we're, we're going to hear some more stories here of God's work in uh, lives being changed. And uh, I'm going to invite Ellie Sheldahl up here. Uh, she's going to share a testimony about what God did here this past week at Camp Shamanah and what God's doing in her life. It's so awesome to hear, like, we, you know, we, we wonder about the next generation. And, and, uh, and Ellie, and stories like Ellie and, and, and people like Ellie give us hope. God is moving. It's not stopping with a certain age group. The Holy Spirit is moving. And like Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen? Man, so excited to hear. Thanks, Ellie. Who loves Camp Shamanah? Well, Camp Shamanah was like super awesome last week. I think Encounter is just like crazy because like we're all like older and like can do more things and um, we all kind of share in our thoughts more and are more confident in ourselves. So we all got to just be together and like do crazy things because nobody's like, oh, like, I shouldn't do that. Like, I'll look weird. It's like, no, who cares? Like, be on fire for Jesus. So, um, like, there's quite a few things that I learned there. We had a session every morning that was, like, a Christian lesson. And then later in the day, we had more of, like, a, like, skills class. And then we had chapel at night. So the morning sessions were just really awesome because you're awake for it, because um, during chapel, it doesn't start until like 10.30, so you're just like, I need to stay awake so that I can like pay attention, but um, the morning sessions, like I learned, uh, like how, I went to how to share your faith class, and it was just really awesome to like, just like the weight, like the pressure of sharing God's work, it just like comes off, because like, it's not about you at all, and, like, you can't say anything in your own words to spread the gospel. Like, it's just God through you, like, going out, and, like, I had that pressure, like, through working, through friends. It's like, oh, what should I do, or what should I say so that, like, I can share God with them, and it's like, God will work through your life, and he'll tell you what to do, so, like, that was kind of amazing to learn about, and um, the next class was, like, um, a pro-life apologetics. So it kind of talked about, like, it's a very touchy subject is, like, abortion and all that. So it just kind of talked about how to handle pro-choice people and, like, how to understand and be very empathetic just because you don't know, like, what people's situation is or if they're the one that got an abortion or are thinking about it or anything so it's just like empathy and like getting down instead of like holding signs up in their faces or screaming at them being like hey no don't like I don't know you just kind of have to like understand and kind of like go through it together and with God's help of course and let's see another one was I had notes on my phone, so <laughs> um, it was, so I also went to a death slash dying classes, like 
in the end. And um, it was just really cool to understand that, like, it just gives you a lot of hope knowing that, like, we, like, people think spirit and soul are the same thing. But at camp, I learned that we're, like, matter plus your spirit equals a soul. So when we die, like, we're not dead. Like, dead and dying are, like, not anything in the spiritual world because when we die we're just matter like that's just matter laying there now and now we get to go and be with God so like that was something super cool to learn about and um yeah just chapel too learning about um Herb talked about like understanding scripture or like you need someone to pick you up again and he said that when he first read that, he thought, like, wow, what a stupid, like, verse. This is probably the stupidest verse in the whole Bible because, like, you need two to pick each other up. And, like, in school, you always think of the teamwork exercises or whatever. They put you in a group, and you're like, wow, I'm the only one doing all the work. Like, what, why would two be better than one then? But it's just, like, that's something I'm going to work on, too, is because, like, I've always thought, wow, I wish I had someone to, like, lift me up because every year I'm, like, trying to give my all to everyone else and, like, lift everybody else up all the time. And they're just pushing me down farther and farther. So, like, that's something I'm going to work on is trying to find, like, a relationship where you can push someone else up. And when you're down, they can push you up. So I thought that was really cool. And he said that like you really need that because he learned that when he was on like a trail ride or something and he couldn't go any farther but his friend reached down for his pack and picked him up and he was like that's when I understood um, the two is better than one verse <laughs> and so another one was um, being bold like the last lesson at chapel was about being bold enough to like listen to God because sometimes we hear God in the back of our mind and we're like no I'm not going to do that that's like stupid that'd make me look stupid or like what or like no that can't be it like if you're sitting at friend groups at lunch or something and God tells you to go pray for someone and you're like no that or like a guy group going to a girl group like no that would make me look stupid and it'd like destroy my pride or destroy like my reputation or whatever but like, in God's eyes, he doesn't care what you look like, and you kind of have to get through that to, like, follow God's word. And sometimes we just think that that's not what we're supposed to do, but that's, like, what we keep telling ourselves in our head, like, that's not what is best for me, but it is. <laughs> so, and um, something important I also learned was, like, being a Christian isn't a destination, it's a journey. And I think if you all know me from when I got baptized um, a couple, few years ago, um, camp was a huge part of my testimony. And in a way, like, we kind of think, like, oh, like, following God is, like, a one-time thing, and we just, like, get there. But it's not. And it's, like, we have to be there every day and present. It's, like, a relationship that you have to work on at school or something. We got to like persist with it and keep going. So that was kind of cool that I learned at camp. And then um, I Herb also taught the church denominations class. And I just think it's so interesting, like 
Catholic, the Catholic Church was like the first church that like started out. And now there's like thousands of different denominations. It's like, first off, like he made a list. He's like, we need the Bible and we need Jesus. Like, what else do we need? And I was like, what else do you need? Like, what? <laughs> that should be it. <laughs> but um, like all these denominations, like anything besides Catholic was Protestant, I think is how you say it. But um, I just think it's interesting. Like, that's how many times we've disagreed, like, as a church on stuff, and our evangelism or church only has like 10 things that we follow, but there's some churches that have like 40 pages of rules that they follow, and it's like, so if you don't miss, like, or if you miss one of those rules, it's like, does that make you not a Christian then? They're like, well, how do you follow all those things every day? And it was just really cool, so... I hope everybody gets the chance to go to camp eventually, even like mother-daughter camp, like you can still go <laughs> and make a way, or they have family camps, but um, yeah, it's just a really cool experience, and to be back, and they called it the um, spiritual high, like when you're at camp, you have a spiritual high, but it's like they also were talking about how to keep living that through your life, so it's easy, like I've always thought like, I have that spiritual high, and then you go home, and it's like, oh, the same life again, what? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, like, just following that through your life now is going to be a big deal for me anyways, so. Wow. Well, let's pray for our campers uh, as, as Ellie represents them that, you know, they come back and we want to see that change continue and we want to see that it's not just a high, but, uh, but it's, it, it's a step forward in their journey. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for Ellie and her courage in demonstrating that boldness, Lord God, of sharing, Lord, what you've done in her and how she's growing in you, Lord Jesus, the hope that she has because knowing who we are and how you've made us, that there's more to this life and that when we die, Lord God, it's not the end, but there's more because of you, Jesus. And so much, Lord God, that where she's grown. And Father, we pray, we're gonna pray specifically for Ellie that you provide that other uh, young lady, Lord God, to lift her up as well, Lord Jesus. We pray for a mentor, Lord Jesus, to speak into her life and, and help her grow, that she's not just the one reaching out to everybody else, but she is being poured into you as well. Lord God, we pray for all our campers, God, that you would guard what you've started. And we thank you for that promise that he who began a good work us will, he, he who began a good work in us will carry it out to completion. And we thank you for that promise. And we pray for our kiddos for that, for guarding the seeds that were planted in them uh, through camp, Lord God. And may we be faithful uh, to, to help them grow. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, Ellie. That was awesome. All right. Now to the third main event, our baptisms. I'm going to invite uh, Maria Valle to come on down and Jamie Lee yeah. to come on down here. Talk about boldness and declaring who you are in Jesus Christ. These ladies are sharing uh, 
in, in this, this special moment here of baptism, which is a, a, a symbol. We want to be very clear of like, what is baptism? Because a lot of different places talk about baptism and what it means. And, and, and baptism, doing this act, doesn't save us. Jesus Christ saves us. Jesus alone. And so this act is, is a symbol of what God has already started in their hearts and in their lives. You see, uh, uh, there's an example in Acts chapter 7 when uh, Philip, a guy named Philip, he was a follower of Jesus, and he was just walking down the road, and the Holy Spirit, talking about what Ellie uh, experienced, mentioned to him, you need to go walk over and talk to this Ethiopian dude. He's sitting in his car right there, chariot. Um, and, uh, and so he responded to the, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, went and talked with him, and talked with him through the scriptures that he was reading, that they're all about Jesus. And the, and the Ethiopian reading realized, like, I want to follow Jesus. And they came across some water and he said, I should be baptized. Because he had already surrendered to Jesus Christ in him. And he wanted to declare, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. In Romans 6, Paul says this about baptism. Do you not all know that when you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. You see, baptism is this event that we're to look back on. It's worth something that we're to be able to remember. We can look back on and remember, like, yes, I made that commitment. It's a physical experience. God gave us this this very physical, sensory experience to be a reminder. I went under the water. I died with Jesus. When I came out of the water, that's that new life. I'm a new person. That old stuff is gone. I'm a new person. All those old tapes and all those old ways of, of being and those, those names and, 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 and those thoughts, that's not me anymore. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. I'm a son and daughter of the king. Maybe that's something that you might recognize that's missing in your life is the life. That life is missing. That life only comes with death, through dying with Jesus. And we live for him, and he lives in us, and receiving him. And so, Jamie and Maria today are declaring that that is already happening in them. And so I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let them talk. And so Jamie's going to share a bit of her story of coming to know Jesus Christ. And then, and then Maria will share a little bit as, as well. I've got a few questions for them afterward, and then we're going to go and we're going to do the baptisms. Take it away, Jane. So I grew up not knowing church, no Bibles in the house. We didn't talk about God. I didn't know anything. Um, so I never imagined in my entire life that I would be up here doing this. Um, I grew up in a very shameful culture. Um, you have to do things to deserve goodness. And when I took the Intro to Grace class, there was a question on the packet that asked, do you think you deserve to go to heaven? And growing up in the culture that I did, I said no. And it made me rethink, like, should I get baptized? Is this the right thing? So I just kind of thought about it and kept coming to church and listening to sermons and starting to understand it. And one day it just clicked. 
Jesus died on the, on the cross for my sins, and I do deserve to go to heaven. Um, <clears throat> I'm not very old, <laughs> but throughout my life, there's been lots of times where I've felt angry towards God. Um, I had an ectopic pregnancy, and it made me think, like, if God is so great, why would he do that to me? Why me? Why would something so great have something so horrible happen to you? Um, and then I got pregnant with my daughter, and that was more shame from my family. I was disowned from my family. I moved out at 18. Um, my mom didn't talk to me. My dad had to sneak over to talk to me and see me. Um, it was very lonely, depressing, and very hopeless. Um, and then after that, then I had Elliot, and then I had this perfect family, right? I had two dogs, I had a cat. We live in our own house, I'm only 20, and I got it, it's all together, it's perfect. And then um, I started going to missional community group with America and Brian, who unfortunately were not able to be here today. Um, but they had such a huge part in having me experience a different kind of love that I've never experienced before in my life. Um, they had missional at their house, but they didn't tell me it was like through the church. It was like, oh, hey, like we're gonna get together every week and like have a potluck and hang out. Do you wanna come? So I was like, sure, whatever. So um, that was where I met Cole and Heather Harper um, and their friendship, even though he was a pastor, he never forced Christ on me. Um, so then my perfect family split up two years ago. It was horrible, it was devastating. Um, this tunnel that I was in, there was no light at the end. It was very hopeless, it was very lonely, and I questioned a lot. Um, I had a moment where I really was like, you know, do I even want to be alive anymore? Um, so I was very, you know, I was very desperate for something. And at the time, I started working four part-time jobs <laughs> and raising my two kids and cleaning this house. And um, I prayed. I prayed to God. I was so desperate, I didn't know what else to do. And I was like, God, if you're there, please show me a sign, send me something to let me know that I should continue being on this earth and doing what I'm doing. And at the time, I was cleaning Lakeside Church and we would receive gifts for cleaning. And one day, America brought over the gifts and we didn't know what was in it. She hadn't opened it beforehand and I had no idea. And I opened one, and it was a, it was verses um, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all those who are weary, and I just cried, I just cried. Um, you know, God really did show me that He was there, and then after that, um, I was still working the four part time jobs for a while, and then I was working with Jamie at We Care Daycare, and 
okay, I know I prayed to God and everything, but I still thought like people who prayed for you were like pitying you. They did it out of pity. They're like, they feel bad for you. And um, I really thought she was kind of crazy because she talked about God all the time. <laughs> I didn't grow up like that. She's like, well, just pray to God. It's going to be a good day. And I'm like, you're crazy, but yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but her undying faith in God really helped me go through the split and working for part-time jobs. And she would show me Christian songs. At first, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is she sending me? These links, they're just songs. And one day, I was like having a really bad day after work. And I was driving around, and I was like, okay, I'm going to click this link and listen to it. And I just sobbed. I mean, I like ugly cried, you know, like worse than what I'm doing now. Um, and it just like, it just felt so, I don't know how to say it. You know, it just felt like God was in the car with me. Um, and then um, now I think that praying for someone is a form of love. And, you know, I'm very thankful for my Mishino family, too. They've really been there through everything. When I had the perfect little family, too. Now I'm on my own and I have a full-time job and I'm not working for crazy part-time jobs anymore and I'm super happy and um, with God being in my life, I don't feel as hopeless anymore. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Even if it gets farther when I'm walking towards it, there's a light where there used to not be one. Um, and I went from thinking that praying for someone was just this odd gesture to every night before the kids and I go to bed, we pray. The other day, it was raining outside and I was late for work. And Elliot stepped outside and he was like, thank you, God, for the rain. And he just kept running, you know. And I used to think that praying, you have to be so elegant and fancy with how you pray. But my kids showed me every day that you literally can just thank God. It can be as simple as that. And loving God is so simple and so easy. And life is just different and better. I, I live with hope where there wasn't hope before. Um, yeah, that's my testimony. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Okay, so growing up with a hearing disability, I always subconsciously put a barrier between me and everybody else. So because of that, because of that, I would always isolate myself in a way that, and it just, because I've isolated myself, I was like this introvert in the corner of the room, never talked to anybody because every time I try, and I couldn't hear people would say, oh, never mind, just forget it, or it wasn't important. And it always um, hurt, because it felt like it didn't, if they told me once, it, it must have been important, but if they didn't want to change that, it just meant like, oh, you're just useless, it doesn't matter, there's no point. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, um, a friend. I've always grew up in a church, and it was in a different language, and I hard of hearing. I could never really understand the language. So, Spanish. Uh, it was a Spanish church, and I I always grew, I grew up in it. Never understood majority of the parts, majority of the, you know. Um, even asking or just trying to pay attention, trying to read it, write it in Spanish, it was always difficult. Um, so I kind of, I've always, I was also should mention that I've always was like a person who wanted to go to church, who would always um, listen to music, Christian music, who would always like try to read my Bible. Sometimes I forget or I was just really tired, but I really tried. And I remember I would, growing used to the, in my old church, there was like this group of churches for kids. And I would always go and I would bring like fam, I would try to bring family members, friends, and I kind of forced my mom and she somehow magically she became a teacher for a while. And it was like really fun. I was more active, but it was still like that barrier. So I would be around and play, but I wouldn't talk or inter or make con or conversation. Um, for a while, it was it was just a pretty dark time because I felt like alone. My parents would help, and family members would help. But you know, growing up, you wanted friends as well, like a group circle and. I feel like I felt like my family were just saying that because they're family. They're supposed to be there and help when they're when it's like in a situation that was always hopeless. So for a long time, I was always mad for God just to making me different or just how I see the world. But I, I try not to show it. Cause I didn't really want anybody to like be worried. For then one time at a party, I was so bored and I started drawing. And I realized now that was kind of like my personal diary. Cause I was never good at writing and my, it always hurt my hand, so I never did it. But um, I would always draw. And it would be these little weird human people. I don't know if they were human, but they were something. Um, and they would have like these emotions. Sometimes they were a little worrying, like sad faces or uh, their, their settings. And I would at a time where I was debating, just like not like hurting myself in a way, but like if I would just disappear. Cause there was like many times where I just didn't want to exist, but I couldn't do that they would hurt other people. And I would always, people would always avoid me growing up. So, disability being one. Um, well, as I started drawing, I eventually, eventually got better, surprisingly. But um, I realized now that was like a diary and a conversation between me and God. So everybody else who looked at it was just say it's a drawing, 
But for me, it was like a feeling of that moment of that dark time or a good time, and only me and God could understand it. And over the, my limited time of years that I've been around, I've learned that the darker it, the darker the tunnel, the brighter the light, it always, but it depends if your back, if your back is facing the light and not you. So sometimes if you feel like there's a dark tunnel, it's always good to look around behind you because you never know. Um, and every time I couldn't draw, it just felt like my, I was just holding back. Because I hold back a lot when I'm scared, nervous, just like among other, other people. So when every time I couldn't draw, I felt terrible because I wanted to, but I didn't know how. So I would just like listening to music, try to avoid it a little bit. And if I magically drew something good, then the art, artist block or writer's block, whatever, you know what I'm talking about, it was like finally gone for that while. And my family did help me. And thanks to Eddie, he's the reason why I came to this church. He was like, he is that person who I look up to and just kind of wanted to bother around every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny and why not? So I would always follow him and he just took me to the church, totally not because I forced him to, but you know, um, and it just felt really calming. It was so peaceful. And yes, I didn't really talk much. I was still around and included which people in my school never really did. For a while, I was included with these friends. They weren't, they weren't the best, my friends, at the time. But they were the people who I could hang out with just because they could tolerate me. So they taught me things that I was too young to know or didn't even need to do. Um, we're no longer friends anymore, so that's a good thing. There's a part of me that wishes that we were still friends. But, you know, again, the darker the tunnel, the brighter the light. It just depends on how you, where you look at it, where you look for it. But me and God have always, not very consistent, but as much as I tried. And thanks to my family. And a new group of friends who helped me so much. Um, art has been a big thing in my life. It's a really constant thing. They like keep me going and express it and I knew God would always understand. And I just love how he doesn't take 
he takes pity, but it's not a big pity. Like, it doesn't show or gets annoying. Where he's like those people who don't have words to say, but their actions speak a lot louder. So, it was very, it was really hard. But I'm here now, and I'm grateful for that. super powerful and maybe you need to know and hear yourself that God can speak it to us and meet us in ways that nobody else can and uh, it's a beautiful thing it's a powerful thing thank you so much for the courage you ladies shared and sharing your stories and sharing your hearts it's no small thing we've got a few questions here as we uh, come to the baptism and questions about what we really believe because again this is a symbol of something that's already started inside of us and do you guys believe that in God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit as one God and three persons? Do you believe Christ died for your sins and arose from the dead to give you everlasting life? And do you confess your only hope for salvation from sin and eternal punishment is found in your personal trust in Jesus Christ? And do you affirm your intention to live for Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit? All right. Let's head over to the baptismal here. Pastor Friday, do you mind? I realize that uh, we are running late here, as we always do with uh, baptism services. So if you need to go and check in on, on, on your kiddos, parents, feel free to do so. We're going to be going here for just a little bit longer. After I baptize uh, Jamie and Maria here, um, I'll invite uh, people to come up and pray. We'll pray over them individually. And so if you're uh, so desire, uh, after she comes up out of the water, celebrating her uh, new life in Jesus Christ here, uh, feel free to come on forward and we'll pray over uh, Jamie and then, uh, and then Maria as well. So Jamie Lee, what an honor it is. To baptize you here based on your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, your sincere love for him. It's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. If you would like to come on forward to come and pray over... Jamie here. I know we got the missional community group members here and other, other friends. Come on down here. Let's uh, uh, pray. And if you feel so comfortable, you can extend your arm from where you're sitting here. Holy Spirit, we just ask for your filling in Jamie, Lord Jesus. Lord God, that her story, Father, would be one of coming out of darkness into light. 
Lord Jesus, that she might be that place, Lord God, where there is no shame. She lives the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Lord, let her life display that, Lord Jesus. We pray for covering over her home, Lord God. We pray, Jesus, for salvation for her own family, Lord God. We pray that you would use her to powerfully shine light into the darkness of other people's lives, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for this new life in Jamie. Continue to lift her up and give her strength now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Many of you here may not know, but uh, Maria celebrated her quinceanera a year later, when it's turning 15, but she celebrated it yesterday, and it was a, a beautiful day uh, for Maria, just celebrating not just this coming of age of a young lady, but she genuinely, as you heard, she desires to be a woman of God, and it's such a beautiful thing. And so it's such an honor, Maria, that we are here based on your faith. It's not your mom or dad's faith. It's not your friend's faith. It's not Eddie's faith. It's yours. And you've turned towards the light yourself. And you've walked towards it and received Christ yourself. And it's a beautiful thing. So it's my honor and privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whoever wants to join me in praying over Noelia, or uh, Maria, we can pray over Noelia too. It's Maria's mom. <laughs> I'm going to make sure Mama gets here. You're doing great. All right, join us in praying over Maria. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you speak to us personally, and you meet us, whether it's in art, Lord God, or in music, Lord Jesus, or through people, you will communicate your truth and your word to us, Lord God. I thank you, Father, for meeting Maria. Lord God, and there are many others who need, Lord Jesus, her voice, Lord God, to know that you are a God who's there in dark places, and you will meet them in their own unique ways, Lord God. And we pray that you would, would in, increase her voice, Lord God. Give her strength and power, Lord Jesus, to speak where in places it can't be heard. Lord Jesus, we pray for your hand upon Maria, Lord God, to fill her heart with joy. Lord God, to be able to reach out and to be near and to show community and love, Lord God, to those who are isolated who are on the outside, who others don't see, who are alone or rejected. Lord God, we pray for that power in Maria's life, Lord Jesus. We pray you would keep her. Father, through the, through the journey ahead, Lord God, may she just flower and bloom into that beautiful woman of God, Lord Jesus, that you desire. In your name we pray. Amen.
is that? I'll get you a mic. You just come stand next to me, okay? 